Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. And our theme today is Enlarge Your Heart Through Grief and Loss. It's part five of our series that we're doing right now on emotionally healthy spirituality. Now, again, I'm doing this because we've just launched a brand new refresh of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course out of five, six years of work. Very exciting uh, for us. There's a new workbook. Uh, there's revisions there in both workbooks, actually, but especially the spirituality workbook. The streaming videos uh, that are companions to the workbooks are now free once you purchase the workbook, which is just amazing. Thank you, HarperCollins. Uh, and really, I've never ad- addressed the core spirituality, uh, or the core theology, I'm sorry, of uh, Emotionally the Spirituality course uh, in a systematic way before now. And so... Uh, so my goal is to briefly review uh, what's there, but actually supplement it and broaden it and apply it to leadership. So we began by talking about the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality and the false self. That was part one. Uh, then we moved into uh, know yourself that you may know God. Part two, looking at how do I begin to get free uh, to become who God's uniquely made me to be. We talked about differentiation, uh, becoming emotionally alive, learning to feel how important that is to discernment of who we are and who God is and what he's saying to us. Part three, we looked at going back to go forward, uh, the story of Joseph and how important it is if we're going to, again, shed um, things in us uh, that are not of God. Uh, We've got to maturely look back at the legacies, negative legacies in particular, of our family of origin and our culture and discard that which does not belong to him. It's really going to the cross and dying with Christ uh, and rewriting the negative scripts that we may have picked up uh, with the scripts of the gospel to free us. And then we looked at last week, part four, journey through the wall and how important it is to integrate dark nights uh, so God can purify us uh, on multiple levels from falseness and free us so that we see him as he really is, we see ourselves as we really are and not as projections of who we'd like him to be. So today is part five, Enlarge Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. And uh, oh my gosh, so actually sessions three, four, and five really fit together. They're the heart of the Emotionally Spirituality course because each, in a very profound way, comes at, uh, from a different angle, getting at our inner life and our formation in Christ and getting free. In fact, as we begin here, I'd like to uh, do, a, do a prayer. And this prayer comes from a Trappist monk called Father Keating. And I want to invite you to pray it with me. Uh, I'm going to read it uh, as a prayer. And I want to invite you, wherever you are right now, to make it your prayer as we launch into this incredibly powerful, expansive topic on grief and loss. Okay? Let's pray it together. It reads as follows. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for security and survival. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. Amen. All right. So as I, (laughs) what a prayer. 
So as I introduce this, uh, let me just say two things. One is we cannot grow in spiritual maturity without allowing grief and loss to enlarge our soul. It's a central part of being alive in the human race. It shapes our whole view of life and relationships. In fact, if we don't do it well, it's going to stunt us uh, in our following of Jesus and actually stunts even our ability to really get key texts in scripture. It just op- Suffering has an ability to open us up uniquely and because things are happening against our will and that seem unjust. And God really has our attention. Uh, we become thoughtful, reflective, hopefully prayerful. We slow down, and uh, we allow God to do His work in us. I, I know, know many of you know the famous verse that says, "We know that in all things God works together for good to those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose." But actually, it follows in Romans eight twenty nine. It says, "For God, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son." In other words, you're saying here is before the world was created, God had a God knew you. Uh, he set his love on you. He had a purpose for your life. And all powers of hell may come against you. But God has a destiny for you to be given a new body and a new world transfigured with the glory of God. And thus, we look at our present sufferings and losses in an entirely different way. The present's transformed because of our long-term future. And when, when Paul writes, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, what he's saying is that We've got this, we know our true destiny is our is our humanity, our whole being being completely transformed and restored by the glory of God. In other words, God's at work in you. And part of that work uh, that he's so committed to doing in you and in me uh, is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus, setting you free to become like Jesus in your unique way as a human being. Uh, you're going to be transfigured by the glory of God. You're going to get a new body. And so, therefore, grief and loss, just like going back to go forward, journeying through the wall, these are all pieces of God freeing you. So, the second thing, not only can you not grow up in spiritual maturity without it, but grieving is more than just a feeling, though it is a feeling. It's actually a skill. Uh, and if you think of uh, an apprenticeship with sorrow and learning to grieve— uh, it's very helpful to think of it as a person becoming a master artist or master musician or master uh, trades person. Uh, because if you want to become a master chef, you've got to be familiar with your craft and you go through stages. You become a novice for one to two years. You get humble and you carry tools and you begin to get acquainted with the materials. And, and then you move on to become a, uh, a journeyman or journeywoman. Because when you're a novice, you don't know much about Let's take grief. You don't know much about grief's qualities or its textures, so you just end up going numb or distracting yourself. You make plans to avoid it. But when you become a journeyman, a journeywoman, say in the in the trades like electrician or masonry, it takes years. You're, you're five, eight, ten years, just this long gestation period of learning. Then at some point, at the 10, 15 years, you become a master um, artist or a master carpenter or electrician. We'd say and with grief and loss, you become a mother and father in the faith. You actually have the capacity to move towards grief and loss and not away from it. You've learned from history and some. it implies practice and long haul. And uh, you let yourself be instructed by masters. And we allow grief to do its work in us and on us. And we develop what's called depth. So I'm on my own process of growing and, you know, in with grief and loss. So I've done a few podcasts on grief and loss, especially around the pandemic um, year, year and a half ago. 
So what I want to do is I want to break up this podcast into three parts. I want to give a review of some things I've said in some previous podcasts about grief and loss because it's so foundational. Then I want to introduce you to some case studies of leaders that I processed their grief and loss chart with them directly. And then I want to talk about a few, three FAQs that come up a lot when I talk about grief and loss. And then I want to end with a minute of silence. Uh, someone said to me uh, on Twitter recently, he says, oh, my favorite part of the podcast is the silence. I don't know whether to be insulted or uh, blessed. <laughs> but anyway, so that's how we'll end. So like the little review, here, let's just launch into it here. So like the broader culture, the church uh, has also bought into everything must be up and to the right. Uh, we're growing numerically. We're succeeding uh, we're in control. And so the idea of grief and losses seems like such a waste of time. Uh, and then we actually find scriptures to report to, to support this kind of a view. And we see losses and coming into our life and sufferings like this as invasions, interrupting our normal trajectory up and to the right. So it's important as we, you know, are in this podcast on enlarging your heart through grief and your soul through grief and loss, just be thinking about some losses that have, you know, we've all got them that come through aging as we go through the stages of life and transitions that we're in, they come through dreams that we've had that have been shattered. There are just the catastrophic losses along the way as well. There's in the spirit, in the spiritual journey as well. We, we, there's a big loss of just recognizing maybe spiritual practices. We once engaged in views we had of God, uh, no longer are working. We find out that I, I don't really believe that anymore. And you move on. Uh, that's a loss. Uh, there's a loss that comes with all the limits of life. Um, and the list goes on. But the invitation of God is to take in suffering and losses to be transformed, not get bitter. Uh, these the, the many deaths that come to us before we actually die don't need to be terminal. They actually can be very transformative, uh, opening up all kinds of new possibilities for us. But the culture uh, doesn't lament. Uh, we see it as an interruption to a happy life. We want bigger, better, faster, kind of an ascent theology. And so we end up medicating into some kind of addiction whether it's work or drugs or alcohol or sex, uh, watching TV, you know, 80 hours a week, binging <laughs> like crazy, or demanding someone or something take the pain away, or get we just go isolate ourselves, or we deny it, or we throw it, we paste a, a, a superficial, I'll call it Gnostic theology on life. How are you? Everything's good. It's all for the best, you know? You know, God's working everything for good. Rejoice in the Lord always. God's on the throne. And, uh, you know, just like I would for years, I, when I met a depressed person, my attitude was, where is your faith? And so we've got, we live in a culture that is, if you think of a, a dead person lying in a uh, hospital and the monitor is on, it's flatline. It's just flatline. It's, it, there's no heart beating. We live in a flatline culture emotionally that avoids the depth and range of feelings given by God. Uh, and so many of us in our churches as well, we still have a compressed emotional life in a tightly constricted box. And so this is, a, this, this is such a critical, uh, indispensable biblical truth if we're going to grow into maturity that we actually allow God to enlarge our soul through grief and loss. So uh, I talk a lot in different places about there's a, there's a theology of grieving, overlapping theology of three phases um, that we've got to embrace. I'm just going to mention them very briefly here. And uh, you can pick it up in other places. But the first phase is I pay attention to my pain. I feel it deeply. Uh, and I follow the biblical pattern, uh, 
which is found in you know two-thirds of the Psalms or laments. We've got a whole book called Lamentations. The whole book of Job, 35 chapters is about lamenting. Jesus was called man of sorrows. Ezekiel lamented. Daniel grieved. Jesus wept uh, over Jerusalem. Uh, he said, blessed are those who mourn. And that's why you know, part of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course is a, a skill we created called Explore the Iceberg to help people feel. Uh, what am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? But we lead people and to help them get out of that flatline deadness into coming alive, into feeling before God, much like David did. The second phase of biblical grieving is I, I, I wait on the Lord and that confusing in between. I just, I just don't feel it and go into a hole. I'm actually doing this before the Lord and I wait on him in what's being called in, in Middle Ages, confusing in between. And this whole idea of waiting on God in the middle of loss and grief, it, it's everywhere in scripture from Joseph to Hannah to Elizabeth to Moses, you name it. Then the third phase of biblical grieving is where I let, I let the old birth the new. I actually let God bring something fresh out of the thing that has died. And this comes out of a whole theology of the resurrection that Jesus died and rose. He's alive. There's new beginnings out of endings. Uh, and as he said, Jesus, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so uh, this all comes out of a theology that Jesus was fully God and, and fully human. And uh, we too, are, we're, we're just full human beings. We're not half humans. We're not angels in heaven. Uh, but we embrace that Jesus was fully God and fully human, not just fully God. And we embrace, embrace our own humanity. Uh, we're not living this kind of a Gnostic, it's called an over-realized eschatology, uh, that the church has been battling for 2,000 years. It's kind of a Gnosticism that doesn't respect emotions or our humanity and doesn't integrate that into our reading of Scripture and into our theology and our living of life. So actually, in the uh, Emotional Ethics Spirituality workbook, uh, we we do a Bible study on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, and it's so it's an incredible study because we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's not a superhero uh, by any means. Uh, he's not charging like charging a light brigade, but even in he's so different than even the early martyrs in the church in the second and third centuries who kind of would burn to the stake, you know, very victorious like. Uh, Jesus is struggling here. Uh, his face is before the—he's live prostate before the Father in deep horror. Uh, and he's, he's, it says he is sorrowful. And actually, the word in the original he, he Greek is like deeply depressed. Uh, and the theologians struggled with that, especially, you know, in the early centuries. Origen of Alexandria was probably the greatest theologian of his day in the 200s. And, and he was so uncomfortable with Jesus' behavior in Gethsemane, he said, oh, Jesus only began to be sorrowful, but his Godhead restrained him from consummating the emotion. Uh, no, Scripture tells us he learned obedience from what he suffered, uh, and he was overwhelmed before the unfathomable will of the Father, uh, and that's why he says, if it's possible, may this cup pass for me. Uh, and uh, it's not passed to him, he drinks the cup. Tremendous, tremendous Bible study. I encourage you to do it. Uh, but it takes grace, tremendous grace, and for the strength to turn towards grief and loss and not away from it. And my invitation to you today is to invite you to let your losses and grief do its work in you. Because there's, the, there's certain maturation and freedom that can come to you only through that. Now, there's lots of 
incredible treasures that come through integrating grief and loss, revelation of God like Jeremiah had in as Babylon Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem and he sees God's love and compassion, incredible revelation. We, we, our, our own, we, things happen in us through grief and loss. Like we, we get free, our, our masks dissolve. We care less about what people think and we become softer people. Uh, and as has rightly been said, the degree to which you're, you've grieved your own losses is the degree to which you can grieve anybody's losses. Now, as you, you absorb your pain, you can enter the pain of others. Oscar Wilde, wrote a, a poet and author, wrote a little book on sorrow after he had a stint in prison. And here's what he wrote. Love this little book. He said, where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. Someday people will realize what that means. They will know nothing of life till they do. Wow. So with that... Um, God's invitation for us is to stay with it and persevere like Job and David and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Jeremiah. So let, let me, you know, in, in the Emotionally Spirituality work, Workbook, uh, there's, a, there's a, a list of common defenses that we use to protect ourselves from grief and loss. Things like denial and minimizing and over-spiritualizing and blaming and distracting. And then actually, you're asked to make a grief and loss chart um, through the different age spans of your life, like 3 to 12, 13 to 18, 19 to 25, 26 to 40, 41 to 60, etc. And uh, and the losses you experience in those different places, it's a whole page chart. And then what was your response at the time? And it gives a chance to look at it visually, how you dealt with it. And again, and uh, and, and then you know, there's some questions around it, but let me just encourage you uh, to pick up, even if you're, you're, you may not be in a church uh, or a ministry that's actually doing the course, but you can just get it on your own and do it yourself. Pick up the participants pack, uh, the workbook and day-by-day -day book. The videos are then free, these streaming, free these course streaming videos once you purchase the workbook. And uh, and then just do it devotionally for yourself as a taster. Then you can try to bring it to a, you know your community because that's where the tr transformation really is. But at least you can get started uh, and it'll really be helpful to you. And just actually last week, we, Jerry and I did a, a training. Uh, we, we filmed a level two training for point leaders uh, of the course in churches. Uh, actually, the fruit of years of work. And it'll be available in our vault on our website in a couple of months. Uh, but we, I, I, I filmed examples of coaching three different leaders around their grief and loss chart for their own discipleship and formation in Christ. So I want to share that with you because I think it'll be helpful to you. Three different scenarios of people's grief and loss, and you can see how it applies to you. So we'll call the first person John. As he laid before me his grief and loss chart, that's found, again, in the workbook uh, on the chapter on grief and loss. What was, was so interesting is he shared it with me how many significant losses he had in his chart, especially in his early years. So I just started by asking him a few questions. Uh, he had noted that his brother... I had committed suicide uh, when he was 22, uh, uh, and uh, when he was between the ages of 19 and 25. And then his father, uh, the loss of his father as a parent, and there was divorce of his parents were huge losses. And, uh, and then he had a, another older brother who was his mentor, who died from cancer at a very early uh, age as well. And so he, I began to just ask him questions about these very painful events that were written there that happened to him. But... There wasn't his response at the time. There wasn't much emotion. Uh, he mentions uh, he, he was in, as he was talking. It was clear he, he was just in his head. 
uh, wasn't it wasn't necessarily in his being or his emotions very much. And I noticed he kept writing down, acting out in anger. He acted out in anger twice, uh, and then confusion and guilt. And uh, remember, what's behind anger very often is fear uh, and sadness. Uh, but I didn't get a sense talking to him that his feeling muscles were very developed, uh, and uh, because it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't congruent with the amount of pain he had in his life, his ability to even talk about it. Uh, and I just suspected that his family of origin, there wasn't really permission or space to grieve his losses, so it just came out in anger. So I asked him, "How'd your family do anger? How'd your family do sadness and fear and disappointments and losses?" And his answer was simply, "They didn't." Uh, so this was a really important discipling moment for him, mentoring moment, and a very vulnerable. And this guy's really gifted, Johnny, gifted leader, successful, highly competent. Um, but the idea of slowing down to do something as apparently foolish as weeping and grieving just wasn't something that was going to come easy to him. Uh, so I challenged him, uh, suggesting that he practice feeling and let those feeling muscles come alive in him. Uh, and that this was a big discipleship issue for him. And it was key to his maturity in Christ. And then I suggested a couple of things for him to think about. One was to, you know, begin reading and praying the Psalms of David, who was a great feeler before God. It's just part of his devotional life and, and how it really helped me uh, as I was learning to feel. I was in my, you know, late 30s. Uh, and then I encouraged him to watch that video again in the Emotional Relationships course on Explore the Iceberg. That would give him a little context of what I was talking about and uh, maybe pick up a book as well like a grace disguised that might help him uh, articulate what's going on inside of him, give him the words, like, what is it? What am I feeling? Because this is going to be really new and fresh for him. That's one. The second case study was a fellow I'll call David. And uh, this guy's David, his, he's, again, another leader, uh, actually, a, you know, a leader and, and um, you know, again, again, very competent. But his, he didn't write much down. Uh, but what he wrote down was very intense. Um, he had gaps, big gaps. So he writes that he got, he writes about being molested as mom being in, in and out of mental institutions and becoming homeless in his twenties. So I, I was very careful to tread carefully with this level of trauma. And I took notes of just my limits. Uh, you know, I'm not a therapist, a pastor, uh, but I do offer mentoring, right? We're, we're mentors, coaches, and, and, uh, we're trying to help people move on in their following of Christ. But I thought, yeah, I could offer something, you know, to this fellow and this guy and um, as a pastor leader. And I asked him about the blank boxes, especially, say, between 25, 19 and 25. I said, what happened? Where would all that early trauma go? And he had a lot to share. Uh, at, that point, he, at this point, he couldn't see any good coming out of his pain. Such a painful history. And I asked him questions like, are there any losses you've not yet embraced where new life might be waiting to be birthed? And he didn't say anything except just to, he said, I, I just need to feel the wounds afresh. But it turns out he'd done a lot of work in AA and NA, working the 12 steps, uh, had a couple of rounds of therapy. And actually, he was in a great process and is very much on the journey of integrating the trauma of his past. And I say trauma because we all have, most people have trauma, but his was a big capital T, you know, much like mine. So what I did was I offered him love and presence in Jesus. And I was actually awestruck of his resilience and the grace of God in his life, the miracle he was married with children, leading in the church. And uh, I believe the best thing I did was to be with him uh, and help him see a larger framework of his pain. 
that God had allowed such suffering in his life. I, I have no idea why, but that he was now stewarding this suffering as a gift to the world. And I reminded him of John of the Cross's insight that, um, you know, the greater the suffering and grief in one's life, very often the greater the revelation and transformation and the greater ability to actually serve other people. And I said, David, God must have an incredible plan for your life. And uh, I, I sought to give him perspective of the miracle of where he is today, the evidence of God's abounding, overwhelming grace in his life. The third person uh, I'll call Jane, uh, and I was struck as well by the number of losses on her chart and actually her ability to articulate them. Everything from moving often as a young child, which is very intense for any young child, losing friends, school, and roots, being not supported by teachers uh, for, the, for the field she wanted to go into uh, of acting. Uh, she was married early and then got divorced from an abusive spouse and, uh, and then ended up in a church where she was spiritually abused as well and ended up running away from that and lamenting and then actually uh, a second time uh, resigning from an unhealthy, abusive church job where she lamented a lot. And so I just, I, I just looked at it all and, and, and she'd done clearly a lot of work. Uh, and I asked her what it was like for her to experience moving so much as a young girl growing up and how did her mom and dad help her process her losses and, um, and which the, her response was, we were just expected to get through it. Uh, there was no permission to be sad uh, so I would just get angry uh, and simmer below the surface. And I asked her about her divorce from the abusive spouse, and that was, of course, a, a very significant event. And then I just asked her, what was the experience of filling out this chart like for you? Did it reveal anything new to you? And uh, are there any losses you've not yet you know, worked through uh, that maybe God's trying to do something in you with mentors and therapists? And I asked her how, how she thought God has shaped her as a leader, as a person through all these losses. And, and she shared, she, you know, she goes, I think God's allowed me to hold loss in a different way. I'm not so hell-bent and why uh, God has used this to refine my character. I actually can hold on much better to the unknown, and I'm, a bit, I'm definitely a softer person. And then I shared with her this idea of emotion, uh, grieving and loss being more than a, an emotion, but actually a skill that we mature into. And I told her the story I mentioned earlier on this podcast about becoming a master artist or master musician, a master carpenter. And, and I encouraged her that. I said, you're, you're, you're a journey woman. You know, you've learned a lot. Uh, God's done a lot of maturing in you and made you softer, more compassionate. And I just exhort her, I exhort her to stay on that journey uh, with Jesus uh, and let God grow her and form her into a true mother and mother of the faith as she's already really well on that journey. Let me just take a moment and... Um, and let me just apply this uh, to leadership, because uh, there's four common tasks that every leader, uh, we're all involved in all the time. The outer life flows from the inner life, as goes the leader, so goes the church. And, um, and, and they actually uh, planning and decision making, culture and team building, power and boundaries and endings and new beginnings. Those are the four areas. Uh, but let me encourage you, uh, as far as launching this, is to check out an assessment of emotionallyhealthy.org slash church health about creating a healthy culture. Because we create out of our inner life, we create cultures around us. And we want to create healthy communities uh, where we lead. And so we've got this little assessment here for your for you and your leadership team or your board or staff uh, and help you assess the health of your church culture. Uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash church health and, uh, and check it out. Uh, I think you'll find it very, very helpful 
uh, for you and your team. Uh, so let me apply to leadership briefly here. Let's take planning and decision-making. Decision by you absorbing your losses personally, it really informs the way you make plans and make decisions because your ability to discern now has widened. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 talks about seasons. There's a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to plant, a time to uproot. Seasons are a, a lens through which we view life and leadership that we're dependent, and a lot of things are outside our control. And God comes both in darkness as well as light. As it says in Psalm 18, dark clouds are under his feet. He makes darkness his covering. God came in thick darkness at Mount Sinai. Um, and so we're able in our plans and decision-making, even with our teams and coworkers, to do discernment of what season are we in and not just power through them. And then the same thing with culture and team building. If we'll do our own work in grief and loss, we'll be present and sensitive uh, to people on our teams. We'll model for them uh, how we handle transitions, new people coming on or leaving, blows that are setbacks. Uh, we even give ourselves compensation when we, work, we go through a heavy season and we make sure there's space to process. In other words, even the way we do rhythms as a team changes as we do grief and loss because we're, we're feeling in our own body what's going on and we're sensitive to the movements of God in us. And then with regards to how we exert power uh, and boundaries, because grief and loss mellows us. It, it's scary when people have power who have not been broken by grief and loss. They simply bounce off it uh, because great people with great power, whether it's money, success, or intellect or large influence, uh, who are not softened and transformed by loss, you know, they're dangerous. And then even as we approach endings and new beginnings, we're able to go through transitions and endings and go into new beginnings when we grieve our losses because we've done it personally, then we can do it not just transitions in our church life, uh, but transitions in people's lives. And we're able to, again, to feel and monitor and help people move along uh, in their lives. That's why, again, darkness comes as a treasure and grief, it shapes us, creates a spaciousness in us. It's holy, sacred work that we don't want to get over our losses. We want to absorb them into our lives. All right. Uh, let me just close with two, three quick questions that come up and um, frequently asked questions. The first is some people, uh, we, people they, just, they just say, well, my, my losses aren't that bad. Um, as other people. So I, 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 why am I getting all down about it? Um, well, uh, everyone, there is no hierarchy of losses and sufferings. Um, I have no right to complain, people say. Well, I love the story of Edith Egger. It's found in her book called The Choice. And she came out of uh, concentration camps. And uh, she writes about, as a therapist, uh, she, she says there's no hierarchy in suffering. And she tells a story of two patients coming to her. The first mother is a mother in her 40s whose daughter's dying of hemophilia. She cries, she cries the whole time in, in grief and anger. The next patient comes in from her country club, and she's crying the whole time because her, her, her new Cadillac that had been delivered to her was the wrong shade of yellow. And uh, so, but she writes... I knew enough about her to understand that her tears of disappointment over the color of her car were really tears of disappointment over the bigger things in her life that had not worked out the way she had hoped. 
that the little upsets are emblematic of the larger losses in our lives. And uh, both women were responding to a situation, she writes, they couldn't control in which their expectations had been upended. So I, I love that. And uh, I, I just love that. And, and so no hierarchy. The second person is, if I let myself feel the pain, I'll die. I used to believe that. Uh, but I want to encourage you that Jesus is waiting for you there. Uh, he actually is in that place waiting with his own wounds to free you and heal you. And then finally, I don't have the gift, Pete, of experiencing grief and loss. And my answer to that is, that's simply bad theology. Uh, you're, it's not a gift. It's simply part of being a human being and following Jesus. Um, you don't have a gift. You think it's not a gift because you're dead to it, but it really comes out of your family of origin, not having given room for your brain to develop and come alive, to be able to experience those kinds of feelings. So again, let me invite you to, before we take our one minute of silence, to uh, pick up uh, that little assessment on creating a healthy culture in the new family of Jesus um, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church health. I think you'll find it very helpful for your leadership team, your board, your staff uh, together. So with that, let's take a minute before the Lord here as we close uh, to be still and uh, allow God to maybe just come to you and offer yourself to him and let his love overshadow you. Okay, let's begin. Amen. Thank you, everybody. It's been wonderful to be with you. I hope you enjoyed it half as much as I enjoyed the preparation. God bless you and have a great day.